Hi, this is Jeff Davis. I spent many years just down the road playing rock and roll along the lakefront in Chicago at WLS Music Radio. Sometimes people just need a really good reason to get back together and enjoy each other. This is one of those occasions. And now, more radio stories between old friends on another episode of the Storyteller Studio. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the Storyteller Studio. This time we're in Rockford, Illinois, and our guest is Sky Drysdale. Oh, I <laughs> Good see. Morning. I see Sky all the time, and I go, you know what? We have to pick a date for this. Uh, I'm honored. And um, when you said that, gosh, just things start coming back. Oh, you yeah. know, you start reliving the our heydays, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. And. Uh, I'm I'm very humbled that you guys asked me to come in. Oh, happy to do it. It what's so funny, I think we're in episode 27, 28, somewhere in that area. And so many people, including people like Bob Pressman for crying okay. out loud. All right. The go, sports guru. Yeah, they'll go, <laughs> you know, I don't really think I have too many stories. Mm. I'm going, Oh my God, are you kidding me? Right. And then an right. hour and a half later. <laughs> And, and it just, one thing leads to another, and it's a springboard, right. and that's what the magic of this industry is. Before we get started, I want to tell you a couple of things that I just pulled up last night on uh, Storyteller Studios Podcast Analytics. Okay. Now, we are 27 episodes uploaded so far. We launched this on September 1st of 2022, okay. so we're about a month and a few days in. You've been busy. You think about that. It's right, crazy. Right. Yeah. And we're doing other things too. It's, this is not the only thing we're doing. With our analytics, we have 651 downloads already based on 253 unique listeners. That's in a month. That's awesome. And you think that that would be a very niche group of people because only so many people are going to be interested in this type of thing. Either you know the person, you know the radio station. You know the era. There's some kind of a niche connection, and then that, sure. and then it stops. Sure. Okay. Well, we're in 21 <laughs> states, and we're in 11 countries. That's pretty impressive. I don't understand how My that gosh. happens. India, Poland, Belgium, Panama, and UK among them. I just don't get it. Poland? That's, yes. Wow, that's neat. And the analytics will tell you... You know, like YouTube does, hey, if you're watching this, you might like that. Sure. Okay, so people sure. pop over and sure. they go, oh, they listen for two, three minutes and say, eh, that's not for me. Okay. And they never come back. Right. Okay, fine. Right. I, I completely understand that. Right. These people revisit. These people listen to other episodes and the analytics will tell you that. And it's crazy. I can understand, you know, people like Doug McDuff and Liz and Fred Spear Listening to Bob and Ken sure. and all. I sure. get that. Sure. I get that. Sure. But not the other part. I just don't get it. But hey, we're thankful. <laughs> that, that's that's awesome. It is. It's sort of fun. So anyway, we can go any direction you want to go. And we, <laughs> we could probably, because the last time we were on the air together was Golly, in... Golly, that was 10, 12 years ago. That was 2010. Yep. When yeah. I was filling in on WROK for Riley O'Neill, right. he was taking a bunch of listeners to uh, Cubs Spring Training. <laughs> and I did Thursday, Friday, and then Monday, Tuesday. 
and I pulled in all my tokens. I had Mayor Daryl Lindbergh. Wow. I had my brother-in-law, who was the crabber. I had you. I had Webbs Norman. I was pulling wow. in all my people. So that's the last time we were on the air. Wow, that was a long time ago. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> and in the new building. It wasn't even the old building. Right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So where did it all start for you? How did you get sort of like Chuck Doyle says, stuck in the neck with the radio dart. <laughs> you know what, Tim? That's <clears throat> That's been since I was a kid. My dad was a full-time minister, full-time teacher, and he used to buy time on the local station there in St. Louis. It was an AM, for the life of me, I can't remember the call letters, okay. but he used to buy 30 minutes and put his sermon on there. He would record it, take it down there reel-to-reel. There was no editing. And then Sunday when we got home from church, my dad was sandwiched in between uh, an evangelist named C.M. Ward, who my dad knew and used to invite in to speak. And on the backside of his program was Billy Graham. So (laughs) he had kind of a, a cool little spot. And so we were eating dinner, and at 1 o'clock, boy, no, no noise in the house, no running, no screaming. It was on, and if they ran the wrong tape that week, oh, my gosh, he would throw a fit. Were but, you basically a week delayed? Is that how they worked um, it? It was. Okay. And so um, I always thought how cool it was that I knew who the guy who the guy was on the air, but nobody else did. You know, that was in the kid, I mean, as I, I used to think that. I always was fascinated by radio. KSD in St. Louis, where I grew up, uh, used to have contests. I won a bicycle. They were 55 on the dial. I won uh, $55. Um, and I used to always call in, and I got pretty good at it. Okay. Um, kind of figured out how to, you know, the, the whole scheme, or at least I thought I had. Were they top 40 and rock and roll? They were um, just top 40. Okay. And... Uh, I was always fascinated by radio, something I always wanted to do. I tried community college after I got out of, uh, after I got out of high school, mm-hmm. and I took a course in radio, and they were teaching us who invented the radio. I didn't care about that stuff. I just <laughs> wanted to be on it. So I tried a year or year and a half of community college. My grades were junk. And, uh, I just want to eat potato you know, chips. It, I don't know. See, I, I don't know. I don't even know how they're made. That's right. Yes. And I didn't care. And I so, like the lights and the buttons and the slides. That's right. And so somebody <laughs> told me about Broadcast Center in St. Louis, and uh, I told my mom and dad I really wanted to do that. And they're like, "Well, you know, you really didn't apply yourself uh, in community college, much less high school." And uh, I was never a school guy. I mean, my dad had two doctorate degrees. I was the complete opposite. I went through broadcast school, and I aced that in like 15 months. Wow. And uh, took my first job at WGBQ in Galesburg, Illinois, top 40, doing 8 to midnight. Oh, my. And uh, <laughs> the rest was history, 28 no years. Yeah. Wow. It so, was fun. So what brought you from the St. Louis area up to northern Illinois? How did that happen? So uh, my first job was in uh, Galesburg. Then... Um, <laughs> this was a huge mistake. <laughs> then a, a friend, some friends of my parents uh, from when we were little, their son-in-law opened up uh, what was going to be a contemporary Christian station in Beaumont, Texas. They were building a new station, 
And I think they allowed me to come down there and be part of that staff as a favor. Gosh, it was the worst six months of, of my career. Oh, no. I went down there, and, and I stayed with the initial plans. I was going to stay with these people for a while. Well, after the first week, I'm like, i got to find myself an apartment. Were you, were you couch surfing, sort of? Um, no, not, not necessarily. I just – every their lifestyle and my lifestyle were two different oh. lifestyles. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, i got to get out of here. So – all I did for the first couple of months was put music onto carts. And so um, for those aren't, that aren't familiar, we used to, that's how we played all of our music back in those days, were carts. They were similar to an 8-track tape, yeah. and it was one continuous loop. So I put music on carts for months and months, eight hours a day. My program director was blind. His name was John. I don't remember his last name. And he and I went to Houston from Beaumont, Texas, to pick up our transmitter. So they took me out one morning. I had never driven a stick shift. Um, so they said, we're going to take you around the subdivision, taught me how to drive a stick shift. What could go wrong? Oh, my gosh. I, I got in that truck. You're not going to pick up groceries. You're picking <laughs> up a transmitter. You know, and how much was a transmitter in those days? A hundred grand? Oh, you know, and at least. heavy and awkward. And so, you know, we're pulling a trailer. On our way from Beaumont to Houston, and I had a blind guy telling me how to get there. <laughs> I need say no more. So anyway, I, I when so I'm spending months and months putting music on carts. Um, I don't know what happened with the tower, but it fell down. Ooh. Our our radio tower fell down. I still have the the newspaper clipping. I called broadcast center and I said. I got to get out of here. It wasn't malicious you know, or anything? I, it literally... No, no, it was during the construction, but oh. somehow they pulled it down. It had something to do with a cable that was tethered to a truck. And oh. it's, you know, it's strange because when towers fall in radio, they don't fall. If you were to stand a toothpick on end and let it fall to the side, mm -hmm. they drop. If you were to hold a string and let it fall, that's how our tower falls. They crumble, it's, they sort of. Rumble. Wow. And it was just a mess. I called school and I said, you got to get me out of here. So they said uh, over a couple of weeks time, and they always guarantee placement in broadcast center. Oh. If you're a, a graduate, they always guarantee placement for the entire career. That's you a know, tough promise to come through on. It is a tough promise to yeah. come through. So they go, have you ever heard of Mattoon, Illinois? And I go, it's Mattoon. And I was born there and my dad pastored there um, for 10 years. I ended up in Mattoon, Illinois, did a couple of years of AM country, uh, including a show called The Trading Post, where I would sit behind a mic for 30 minutes and people would call in and sell whatever they had. We did a version of that on WLUV called Tradio. That was crazy. I'm glad right. I only had to do it twice. You know, and <laughs> I did that for two and a half years, but oh. looking back, that was kind of one of the gems of my 28 years, um, believe it or not. And uh, then... When I uh, wanted to, to venture out, I saw a job or school contact me. I, to be honest, I don't remember, in Rockford, Illinois. Never heard of Rockford, Illinois. Come on. And uh, came up here and was hired by Curtis King to do afternoons on AM Country uh, WKKN. Yeah, now that's and, how I first knew you. That's right. how I first remember listening to you. Well, when I came into town, you, Chuck Doyle, you know, Riley, all these guys, you guys, 
you were the big dogs in town. Kelly you, Ryan. You know, oh my Ron, gosh. Ron Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, Bill you Phillips know, was in the mix somewhere. And I used line. to listen to you guys and think, that's where I'm going someday. Oh, wow. You know, that's that's where I want to be. And, you know, I would go out to you guys' remotes and your live broadcasts and just stand in the background and just watch and listen and learn. Yeah, and we did the you same know? thing. We did, we did, it, it's levels of that. Where if you were coming to our remote, we were going to somebody else's event, WGN or WLS. That's right. So you guys had your sights set at this level, you know, and I had my sights setting at at this at that level. You know, it's Mm -hmm. funny how um, it progresses. You know, and I had never heard of WGN. I have never probably WGN TV. I didn't know there was a WGN radio, and people are like, "You're not familiar with Bob?" um, Shoot. Bob Collins? Bob Collins? Nope. Okay. You're not familiar with, uh, you, are you a Kev head? I'm like, Kevin Matthews? I'd never heard of the guy. Jim <laughs> no. Shorts? Never heard of the guy. No. And then I started listening to these guys. You know, my eyes were opened like, golly. And how do they pull it off? How do they get to that level? Yes. You know, those guys were movie stars in the radio industry. Yes, exactly. And, and I'll tell you what's incredibly funny is you have people like John Records Landecker, uh, Bob Surratt, Jonathan Brandmeier, sure. any of the Steve I mean, Dahl, Gary oh, Meyer. God, we could go on and on and right. on. And animal ba- stories. Back then, you had <laughs> the power, and it, you know, power comes responsibility. But you had the power if you said, "Meet us at the mall at two o'clock." You may get five thousand people. Right. And right. you got to sort of be careful right. on, on, you what, bet. on what you say, because they were, th- I think John Records Landecker was talking about John Travolta one time. He met John Travolta twice. This is when Olivia Newton-John died. And he said um, that, uh, you know, one time he came into the radio station, interviewed him, stayed for an hour, played some records, blah, blah, blah. But the next time, I can't believe how gracious he was with his time. So he says, well, let's go out to the Woodfield Mall. So again, they said one with of those, Travolta. Yes. Uh oh. Yes. And they figured, <laughs> hey, you know, we've only said this once or twice on the air. You know, we'll get you know a thousand people maybe. They had twenty-two thousand people in the middle no of the afternoon. Kidding. Yes. And the mall, oh my the mall freaked, as you can well imagine. <laughs> and John Records Decker says, and that was the second time that John Travolta kissed me full on the mouth. <laughs> Oh my gosh! So, you know, but you got the power to do it, and of course, WROK and WZOK had the power on on bet. the on the Rockford level. You bet, and that's what made the promotions so much fun. You know, Fred Spear, and and maybe I was partial to radio, but he had more listeners news wise than any local television station. I'm not knocking television. I'm no. kind of uh, lifting Fred's hands. I mean. He was Mr. News uh-huh. in Rockford, you know, and he was on top of it. He had so many connections, and if anything happened, that's that's every was everybody's first call. We need to call WROK because that's right. get Fred Spear out of here. And he did it for forty four years. That's the craziness of it. And when I interviewed him, he came in here twice. He came in here with uh, Doug McDuff, and then just <laughs> and then just Fred and I came in here one time. And he can recall these stories like it was yesterday. Right. He's so good. I, I handed him some news script for a thing that we were doing on TV 23. And it's just like he left the newsroom day before yesterday. 
he lived it. His heart was in it. it you know, yeah. it's yeah. He and was he, something else. And he told Aaron Wilson, he goes, "Hey, do you ever miss it?" Yes, every day, yeah. every single day, because it was ingrained. It was in his blood. And he goes, every time I hear a siren, I go, oh, they're playing my theme song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he he saw the very best and the very worst, you know, in his 44 years of things that happened in Rockford, because I'm sure he had an opportunity to cover some really neat events and uh, the displeasure of covering, you know, who knows what. Yeah. You know? And if you listen to those episodes, you will hear those extremes. Some of them are really, really funny. And some of them are so tragic, you just can't believe that God put him in that place at right. that time, but there was always a reason for it. And and Fred sort of knows that. He goes, I was there for a reason, not only to cover it. I mean, that's that's a byline. That's a right. sub-level. Sub Correct. But he goes, I was there for reasons that I did not know at the time. And then, of course, it lingers on, and he realizes why he was there. And there were probably, you know, stories that he covered where he knew that person or that family yeah. or, yeah. you know, that company. I remember our old news guy from uh, our, the early days of WIBR who used to be at WROK. His name was Bob. Um, but on Thanksgiving morning, however many years ago, he was called out to cover an accident, a uh, fatal accident. When he got on scene, it was his wife and son. Bob Schumann. Bob Schumann. And Bob Schumann was also at WTVO, but I cannot remember yeah, he sure was. I whether he that. was before WYBR or after WYBR. Probably before. It, I bet you that was the early, early, you know, back in the Kim Leepak days and the yes. Monica Schneider and yes. uh, yeah. Bob Kevern. Bob Kevern, you Bob, know, Lewis, <laughs> Bob Lewis, Bruce Richardson. Oh, yeah. Bruce God. Richardson was awesome. Oh, God. We're dating ourselves, aren't we? Yes, sir. <laughs> My son works for TV 23 now. He's a cameraman in the morning. And I said, Eric, if you want to go in and either freak people out or impress them, either way, we don't know the reaction, just throw out the name Chuck Faber. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's like pulling wow. out Walter Cronkite. Yeah, exactly. You got that right. <laughs> so I don't know if he's done it yet. Let's <laughs> say, like, Chuck Faber, how do you know Chuck Faber? You could just imagine the reaction. You know, see what happens when, you know, there's a few things in my life I'm passionate about, Tim, and radio for obvious reasons and music. We sit down and start talking about things, and mm -hmm. one thing leads to another, it you does. know, and it's just ventures. It's like, how did I get, get there talking about Kim Leepak? I know. <laughs> when you said, how did you end up in Northern <laughs> Illinois? <laughs> yes, that's where we started. You know, so you got the job at WKKN. Yep. And so I did uh, afternoons there for a couple of years. I learned a lot in Mattoon from Ray Livesey, who used to be president of the Illinois Broadcasters Association. Oh. We had to wear a tie on the air. In that radio station. As a matter of fact, I'll, and we did our own news. And so, you know, leading into the top of the hour, leading into UPI news. Yeah. So one day I was sitting there, it was hot in the studio, and I had loosened my tie a little bit. I was hot. I'm, I'm reading my news, and all of a sudden I, I knew someone was in the studio, but I'm facing forward and I'm thinking, what the heck? And then these hands come around my neck, tightening my tie and buttoning my shirt while I'm doing the news. And I'm thinking, gosh, I'm going to have to hit somebody here because this is really weird. Well, and are they trying to mess with you and make you laugh? Well, and it wasn't that type of, of uh, atmosphere. Oh. And uh, then I realized it was Mr. Livesey, and I thought, 
oh my gosh, he's lost it, you know? And so what had happened, a tour was coming through, oh. and he... <laughs> <laughs> but for a, a second, my mind just reeled like, what the heck? Yeah, it's not like he didn't know it wasn't hot in the studio. Oh he my knew gosh. Why you, oh my. So anyway, um, how did I get there? Uh, oh, WKKN. Uh, so I did a couple of years there. You know, Bill Phillips came over and um, did mornings on WKMQ. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a big deal. You know, we had Bill Phillips in the house. And again, I was just kind of learning the Rockford market. So then I had heard um, that there was an opening at WYBR over on Sandy Hollow Road. Mm-hmm. So Dan, I'm so bad with names. Uh, he was the program director and uh, he came over and we talked and we talked and he said, well, all I can offer you is overnight. So I'm like, I'll take it. All I can offer you is this much an hour, which was way down on the scale. I'm like, I'll take it. I'm not even sure I can start you full time. I'll take it. And uh, so I started overnights, doing overnights. And within three months, Tim Krull and I were doing the morning show. Oh, my. And to be honest with you, it wasn't because of talent. It was because of... <laughs> We don't have anybody else, so let's put those guys on in the morning. Because, you know, to take a morning slot, you're looking for the, the best and the, the most seasoned yes. guys. Well, we were the... Um, What's left over on the buffet? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so they're, they're like, we'll put you guys in mornings. So what was Tim doing when you were doing overnights? I think Tim was doing afternoons okay. and possibly the music director. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's how you guys met? That's, yeah. That led on to your career at WXRX? Yeah. And then we worked 16 years together. He became our program director. Um, then he, uh, did all of our, uh, uh, imaging, which Mm -hmm. imaging is a gift. You, that's not something you learn. You have it or you don't. And I, I give a lot of our success at WXRX to his imaging because like we were talking before we started this morning i grew up in st louis listening to kc 95 mm-hmm. i didn't know what imaging was all those little cool things in between the music that uh non-announcer correct yeah that you know where the radio station kind of beat its own chest um <laughs> that that's what you know i used to listen to that and not even realize what i was listening to and thinking that stuff's cool yeah well tim Krull has that it's a gift. It, it's even. It's more than a talent. And I, I remember walking into McCallie's office, David McCallie, our GM, saying, you got to come and listen to what Tim just put together. And it was, gosh, it was so neat wow. being a part of all that and just watching that. The guy's mind is just so creative. So there's three things. You, you talk about how we go off in 40 different directions. There's three things that I have stories or at least questions for you based on that little bitty piece that you just said, David McCallie, right. Tim Krull, right. and imaging. Okay. okay. Tim Krull lives in my neighborhood. Okay. So every so often I see Tim walking by. We're a, It's a big, big walking, dog walking neighborhood. That's awesome. Yeah. So he'll just stop and, you know, we chat a little bit. And of course it's about old radio and what he's currently doing and stuff like that. It's not ever an hour visit. It's he's me. actually getting out playing music now. I saw that. You know, I did not know he played a guitar. And, and yeah, he's always he's always been a musician. Do you remember the WXRX All Stars? No, I didn't. We actually had a band, and uh, Tim was the lead singer. 
he used to write parody songs that he would play during his show. But now he's starting to uh, get out. I think it's just an acoustic thing, uh, playing in different restaurants and uh, wow. you know local bars and stuff. Good for and, him. Yeah, I my wife and I we wanted to go see him, but it was the weekend of my class reunion, so I missed it. And so I sent him a message: Hey, next time I'll definitely be there. Yeah, let me know. You know, yeah. yeah. The other part is he's doing uh, a lot of imaging for radio stations around the country. Right. So that is sort of a job that you can record it and you can do your fancy stuff. And then just email them or upload the file, and Isn't that ev- funny? and everybody's happy, and it's incredible. Well, the other side to that is uh, what was it? It was the imaging and Tim Crawl. Oh, David da- McCallie. David McCallie. David McCallie became a customer of mine after I got out of radio and I was at Skyward Promotions. Okay, and of course David is a is a cut up. I mean, right. he will right. he will jab the crap out of you right. and just. Either you could take it or you can't. <laughs> so I remember walking into his office one time, and it was maybe like a 9 by 12 or a 9 by 14 picture hanging on his uh, office wall that was this. Do you remember this? You bet. That was um, Batman Returns, so mm-hmm. 1992. And the story, the way I remember this coming about, there was going to be a press conference there in Gotham City. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, they have what's called a mic flag. So if you're watching CNN, the reporter's holding the microphone, there's a little something that slides up over the mic that says CNN. Mm-hmm. Well, they want, they wanted a mic flag for the local radio station there in Gotham City. And from what I understand, the, my, if my memory serves me correctly, the uh, producer or director, whoever has the job in the film, looking for some cool radio station call letters, went through and liked WXRX. Because mm-hmm. if, if you look at it, it does kind of have an attitude because of the two X's. And they contacted David and Bob, and I don't know, you know legally what, what took place there. But um, if you watch the movie Batman Returns, when they, when they do the press conference, the mic flag on this old 60s-looking mic says WXRX. Mm-hmm. With Christopher Walken in with, behind it. You bet. And then there's another one. There's another picture with Danny DeVito as the penguin standing behind that microphone. <laughs> and I actually have that on a McDonald's, one of the large plastic cups that was printed and nationwide. Are you kidding yep. me? So here's a press conference with a WXRX mic, mic flag on a McDonald's cup. Holy cow. And I still have one of those. Wow. Yeah. Well, your story matches what I heard. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Okay. Exactly to, to the to the deal. And of course, um, I think David McCallie, just because David McCallie is this way, he'll go, well, what do we get? Well, I want a nine by twelve picture, and I want it autographed. <laughs> and hey, if we could have some tickets to the movies, and uh, you know what we did is is we uh, when I say we, I, I didn't have anything to do with it, but the station either rented out or were was given and maybe in a barter uh, the Cherryville Cinema, oh, and for a, a screening of Batman, and I. Th- I think it was like maybe the week before it opened or the night before it opened, however they do that. As it should be. Yep. And so we gave away tickets on the air. It was a huge, huge promotion. That is um, so cool. Because in 1992, that was the year that we took our first number one ratings. The station was really picking up momentum. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got this new station in town. And when I say new, I mean two years old. Mm-hmm. We signed on January 1st, 1990. You know, then you get this Batman thing. Golly, it's just, it's a recipe for success. Yeah, it fell right in your lap. It, it, and it did. Know, it and did. you think, like, uh, uh, America's Got Talent, 
You know what dollar amount and what negotiations it takes for product placement. You know, because every so often they'll have either Dunkin' Donuts or Coca-Cola or whoever with the cups in front of the judges. And this was, quote-unquote, product placement where they approached you. Correct. And that's that's completely ass-backwards from what... And it it was just so, you know, out of the blue. Mm -hmm. You know, I just remember the excitement in the building about we might be in the Batman movie, you know, when David would share things, you know, and... yeah. It was it was cool. I can remember that same year when uh, I was trying to be able to get some T-shirts printed for several customers. This is in the middle of the summer. Okay. And we could not get a black T-shirt if our life depended on it. And we're thinking, what is the deal here? It's 100 degrees out. It's the middle of the summer. No one should want black T-shirts, you right. know, because they're hot. Right. And we can't find them. Lollapalooza? No, Batman. Oh, no kidding. Yes. They so were... they bought up everything that was... Yes. Yes. So, no So kidding. all of our customers that wanted black had to go to, like, to charcoal gray or something like that. I mean, they always had sort of a plan B. <laughs> what a cool story. I've never heard that angle yeah. of it. But it's like, help us. Why? Why? What's the deal? Did you guys run out of black ink? Right. No. Right. No, it's because of Batman. They're just sucking it up everywhere. Wasn't Michael Keaton... Batman and Batman Returns? Not real sure, because, God, there's been so many of them. Right. I'm, I'm not sure who And it's funny, because I was never, you know, I, I attended that screening, and that's the only Batman movie I've ever watched. <laughs> I was never, uh, I watched Batman as a kid. Yo, with yeah, Adam West, oh, big time. You know? Oh, big time. And, uh, you know, uh, sidetrack, um, when we were little, my brother and I are four years apart, so I was maybe 10. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were in California and stumbled upon a uh, filming of a Batman episode. Come on. From the Adam West days. How do you stumble and onto that? I, I, I couldn't tell you. It was a family vacation. And my brother got to go back and meet uh, Rudy Valley was one of the... Uh, <laughs> Was one, and now we're dating ourselves. Rudy Valley was one of the the guests on the episode, and my brother got to go back and meet some of the cast. They picked him out of the crowd, Come on. and he and my mom went back and. Was this a street know, scene? It was a street scene. It was in oh, a neighborhood. Oh, there you know, you go. and gosh, you know, and but we saw the Batmobile. You know, you get to what well, you couldn't touch it, but you could walk up and see it. Yeah, and, you know, as a kid, you're like, hey, that's the. That's yeah. hilarious. And that would have been like 1970-ish, somewhere in that area? If you Probably. Say you, I, I was born in 59, so yeah, maybe even before that, late 60s maybe. Wow. I, yeah. Speaking of celebrities, who was the person that you either met at a concert or interviewed on the air? Or what, who's, the, who's the celebrity that stands out for whatever reason, maybe it's a behind-the-scenes story, that sticks in your head. That's that's tough um, because there's so many. Yep. Really. And, and I'm not saying that like, you know, because that being on the radio gives you that that position. That's one of the reasons you get in, into radio. You, you get to meet some some really neat people. I had a lot of really neat um, experiences with a lot of really neat different people. I had an opportunity to go bow hunting with Ted Nugent, you know, I mean, that, that in itself was, was crazy, but I've had some neat people in the studio. In addition to Nugent, I've had him in the studio a couple of times, but I've had, uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. 
And I remember his knee was trembling, uh, like it was going up and down. And I said, you know, you're in Rockford, Illinois. Are you nervous? And he said, no, it was from an old cocaine habit. Oh. Bobby Kennedy Jr. Oh, um, my. Uh, I had Macho Man Savage in the studio. And I watched that guy literally uh, sniff a sandwich. I Someone brought him this huge sandwich. He That was part of the deal. He, he needed to have a, like a midday snack. And they went to one of the local delis who made him this. And I'm putting my hands up in the air, almost the size of a cantaloupe, this huge sandwich. And I looked at him, and I looked at him again, and it was gone. And he's wiping <laughs> his mouth, and I'm thinking, dang. You know, he was a monster. Oh, I bet. You know, and, and I had uh, Owen Hart. He was the WWE superstar. I had him and his brother in the studio, but I had Owen Hart in the studio. And a number of years back, quite a few years back, they were shooting for TV, a WWE experience. Mm -hmm. And he came down out of a cable from the ceiling, you know, entrance into the ring. Yeah. You know, and the cable snapped and he died. Well, I had had him in the studio that same year. And uh, I, I had asked Macho Man, and this all happened within... 12, 18 months of each other, I asked Macho Man, did, did you know Owen Hart? Yeah. And I go, he was sitting in the same seat you are. And he said, ooh, I can feel him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Macho Man was so weird. Oh, my gosh. And it's funny because I had <laughs> I had a friend named uh, James Maple. They, they called him Tank. Okay. And he worked out at Muller Pinehurst. He and Macho Man talked exactly the same. Oh that my. was his real voice. And so <laughs> while Macho Man was in the studio and off the air, I phoned Tank out at the, the ice house and had those guys talking to each other. You know, it that's was... <laughs> that's what's so cool about you. And again, we never worked together, but we've just known each other. Right. That you think of stuff like that to go that extra little string, just that extra little something. It was cool. That most people would not even think to do. It Much less neat. pull it off. And and both Tank and Macho Man have passed. You oh know, so it's my. like, dang. Yeah. Let me back up because you, you, I, I can't just let you run off a list without explaining how did you end up bow hunting with Ted Nugent? That was a godsend. Um, I was doing, uh, and, and we'll eventually get to this, I'm sure, but I was doing my Skies Guys promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I had made friends, and when I say friends, phone acquaintances, Um, I don't want to over-exaggerate that, with Linda in Ted Nugent's office. She was his right-hand person. Nobody got to Ted Nugent without going through Linda. And I had talked to her a couple of times about getting some autographed things um, that I could auction off to help raise money for for my campaign. And I bet you had a whole list of different people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, It was crazy. So um, it was cool. And so the last year of my Skies Guys campaign, I used to auction off autographed guitars. And so one of the big national carriers that was that had transported a lot of my guitars, somehow four of my guitars got lost in their shipments. Well, shipments on um, things back in these days in the 90s would get scanned and then put on a plane. And then once they were taken off the plane and got into the warehouse, they were scanned again. Okay. Well, there was no scanning between the time the plane landed and the time that those guitars ended up in the warehouse. So I lost four guitars in one year, and I took that personally because all the Skies Guide stuff I did on my own time. Mm-hmm. I just used the radio as the platform to promote it. Did you lose all four guitars in one shipment or s- scattered out? Um, just in one season. 
leading up to one one auction. Okay. And uh, I was so aggravated. And so I had made the announcement, uh, and, and it wasn't for spite, but it's like, golly, you put in all that work and, you know, to have people stealing from you. Yeah. Um, so I made the announcement on the air. This was going to be the last year for Sky's Guys, whatever. And, and I didn't say why. I just said it was just time. How long did to, you run Sky's Guys? Six or seven years, maybe. Okay. All right. Um, so I said this was going to be the last year, and a businessman came in, wanted to have lunch with uh, Keith and I, sit down and talk to us. And he goes, you guys, this this campaign needs to continue. I'm going to give you $5,000 for that Nugent Tramp for your campaign, but I'm going to send you up there with a promise that you'll do this at least one more year. Oh. So I'm like. So you went and you auctioned off a trip? Uh, yes. And yes. you did it another year? Correct. Correct. Did he underwrite He's, sort of both trips? He uh, No, he... Um, that that he just gave me the five thousand dollars and said, uh, "I want to remain anonymous," um, and I've never told anyone. And do with it what you want. Yep. Holy and, moly! Yep. And ju- well, and just put that five thousand dollars toward your your campaign. But yeah. I'm going to send you on the trip. But he trusted you. Yeah. Yeah. Flat out. You know. You know. In wow. That's that's neat that you said that because when I was hosting comedy over at LTS, I, I would have <laughs> I would have somebody walk up and shake my hand. And I would, I'm like, what the heck? And there'd be a hundred dollar bill in my hand. They're like, that's for Sky's guys, and then just walk away, oh. knowing that. Wow. How do you know somebody's not going to just go? You know, and I can honestly say, all that money that I received, even if it was change, went to that campaign. Yeah. You know, good for you. It, yeah, it was good neat. for you. Those, those are. The fringe benefits of radio that people don't blatantly see. I mean, they're going to see you get a free cap when you go to the you know remote from right. the dealership, right. or we get albums that come in from the record companies because right. it's a tool of the industry. Correct. But the people you meet and the lives that you have the ability to change, and some people choose to do it or not choose to do it, and then the when they come full circle and it's all you back bet. around you and bet. you see these people 20 years later when you go yeah you know we were the blah 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 and we yeah we did this that and the other and you you have no idea that all this happened in 20 years it's humbling i i did a wine tasting the other night at a at a home and this lady goes i want to show you a picture of somebody she showed me a picture yeah. of this young lady <laughs> and you know she goes this is my daughter i'm like oh what's her name Skylar. No. And so you know the rest of the story. That's happened twice. I know, but when somebody you know. says, I want to show you a picture of my daughter, that could be a very bad story, too. <laughs> I like, need to call my wife. Yeah, like, like, you remember us that one concert night? No, actually, I don't. Exactly. But you know what? There, there was two kids in Rockford because people thought I made my name up for my job. You know, as mm-hmm. you know, there were very few people that used their real name, and, and I, that was the name I was stuck with. And so twice now I've had people say we named our kids either Skylar or whatever um, after, not named them after me, but they like that name and yeah. went and named their kids that. Yeah. I'm when, like, wow, that's cool. Let's go back a little bit to WKKN, and I'm, I'm throwing this out there like a bobber in a lake. I have no idea whether you're going to bite or not. I can relate to that. Though. You can relate to that, <laughs> yes. Um, did you ever know two guys— at WKKN. One was Randy Osborne. Sure. 
Randy had a voice like God. Yeah, and the other was Tony Clyburn. I don't remember Tony. Oh, okay. but Randy was. He had just a. He's a big guy and just a big jovial, yeah. jolly guy. But his voice was. Yeah. Randy and I worked together at WLUV. Believe it or not. No kidding. Yes. I thought he was an out of town guy, so he's local. Uh, well, he's in Atlanta now. Oh, is he still yeah. on the air? Yeah. Well, no, he. He ended up uh, uh, getting out of radio, and he's a, he's a terrific writer. He's just an incredible wordsmith. No kidding. And he ended up getting into some kind of a medical newsletter publication for nurses and doctors, specifically in wow. that niche. Good for him. And he was out in San Francisco for many years. And then the... Uh, corp- on the air? Uh, no, no. Okay. Just doing this All publication right. thing. And then uh, the corporate office says, we want everybody to come back to Atlanta. We want everybody in the building. And so that's how he ended up in Atlanta. He was the guy, he was the program director at WLUV at the time when I started working there when I was 16. So of course, remember when you're talking about looking up to people and just standing in the corner and watching, that was, he was my guy. Yeah, because there were... There was no others. I mean, it was basically Chuck Doyle and I trying to figure it all out. Yeah. So here's the odd part about this, and I don't know if I've told it on the Storyteller Studio with somebody or not. I have no idea. But Joe Salvi, who owned WLUV since 1963, died in January of 2020. And I was out in Death Valley National uh, Park, so I did not make it to the funeral. It was maybe a month after Joe's funeral that my phone rings and it shows that it's a phone number from San Francisco. Well, obviously, if it just says San Francisco, I'm thinking it's a robocall of you some bet. sort. It was five o'clock on Valentine's night, a Friday night. What made me pick up that line, I have no idea. Well, actually, <laughs> I do, but, and I picked it up and Randy goes, That's the voice I miss. And I, That's inst- awesome. I instantly knew that it was Randy. Oh, man, him and James Earl Jones. I mean, that's what type of voice he <laughs> yeah. had. And, and he helped me connect with Tony Clyburn, which... Uh, and Tony, I've heard the name Tony, but I don't remember where I... Tony was at WLUV, went over to WKKN and WYFE to do news. Okay. Well, then he went down to, I'm going to get this wrong, the order, but he went down to Orlando and Baton Rouge and places like that. He spent 30 years in Columbia, South Carolina. And he's on a radio station called 93.1 The Lake. He does afternoons. He is sharp and funny and just as clean of an announcer this many years later. And I just pull him up on my smart speaker maybe two, three times a week. That's interesting. Isn't that something? But Randy, I gosh, there's a name that I completely forgot about guys yeah. like that. Yeah. He's you an, know, how he's, many paths we cross. Yeah, he's an incredible writer. I remember Randy when we had just such a horrible, horrible storm. I'm driving this Pontiac Firebird, you know, low to the ground. Right. I had no business being out in the snow. <laughs> and Steve Kraft and Randy are going, why are you here? Seriously, we were going to do your shift for you. Why did you possibly even think you were going to make it? And so all three of us did the shifts and spent the night at WLUV until the plows came the next day. And we've been locked in ever since. And that was when I was 17 years old, something like that out in the middle of a, you know, field in Loves Park, Illinois. So that kind of stuff sticks with you for a very, very, who would have thought all these years later, we're still talking about those days. Because when I mentioned I had worked in Mattoon, Illinois, 
Um, if there was a storm coming, a uh, snowstorm, we were, it, our radio station was two and a half miles outside of town, surrounded by cornfields. They would call you. It may be midnight. Head to the station. You know, bring your sleeping bags. We've got food coming in. And sometimes you'd stay there two or three days. Oh. You know, because the station had to stay on the air. We had a 5,000-watt AM and a 50,000-watt beautiful music FM. Wow. Yeah. Tell me about your uh, connection to Mark Peabody, and then I got a couple of stories to go along with it. Well, I mean, back in the day, you know, if your hi-fi broke down, <laughs> you know, or, you know, something with a turntable, you needed a, a new needle, you had anything to do with speakers, audio, nobody in Rockford could touch his knowledge and expertise That's right. in the field of equipment. Mm -hmm. You know, he was in even today. He's still brilliant in anything, you know, the, the old um, amplifiers and things with tubes. Mm -hmm. you know, nobody knew that kind of work like Mark Peabody. We all talked like we did, but then when you talk to Mark, you kind of shut up because you realize, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking about. And but, he's got the parts. You know, yeah, and, and if not, he could get them, <clears throat> mm -hmm. you know. But I just remember, you know, throughout the years, um, upgrading equipment or, or something to do with a cassette player or something. You always called Mark. Yeah. And now we are in the, oh, I guess the stages of paranoia with our cassettes and our reel-to-reels right. because they deteriorate. Right. And so the radio announcers are going, oh, God, I've got this air check, and I know it's really good, and I know, oh, God, it's like gold, but... Tim, I have boxes. I don't have the player. We've talked about this before, I, yeah. and I still want to make that a winter project to get all of my old tapes onto mm -hmm. something that I can pass on to my kids so they can throw it away. Yeah, or... <laughs> <laughs> so it went from your mom throwing something away to, well, I expect my kids exactly. to. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the other part to that, too, is once you digitize that, and I've digitized cassettes and, and seven-inch reels, it is so easy to share them with people. See? Over and over and over again. That's the cool part. Have but you... interviews of people who have passed. Yes. You know, it's like, I've got some gold nuggets down there I know that mm -hmm. I just, I want to go through. I want to hear them again. Yes. And be able to share them either with my wife or my kids or, you know, guys like you. Just yeah. say, hey, Tim, you'll, you'll appreciate this. You well, know? and I think once you get, this is my experience with it, once you get in the rhythm of recording and digitizing these things... Once you get your levels, right. you can set the reel right. and go do something else. Correct. And then just wait for it to flip and flip and flip, and right. then you're done. Right. Uh, Mark Peabody told me when you and him came here to see the Storyteller Studio, Right. nobody turned on a microphone. We just came and yep. just looked at the pictures and the and the stuff that we got here. Well, it's like going through the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> I mean, it takes you 45 minutes just to go through here. Well, it's interesting mm -hmm. that you would say that because... Mark had told me that he was buying some microphones, some very, very unique microphones from the guys in Las Vegas who does the TV show Pawn Stars. No kidding. Yes. And at that time, when you guys came in, these microphones were on stands on the table. Okay. And he says, I've got mic booms that you can have. I remember, I remember that conversation. Yeah. And he says, they made me take them. I didn't want the mic booms. I just wanted the mics. And they made me take them. So he gave them to me. Brian Thomas gave me the stands. Okay. And now we've got all kinds of arm, awesome. arm space here right. without right. bumping things. So fast forward, he said that he had uh, gone to an estate sale and bought all this vintage equipment. 
and they made him take the paperwork with him. And he goes, I don't want the paperwork. They said, you have to take the paperwork with him. <laughs> so Mark said, if you come to my office, I know exactly where they are. They are in mint condition. I will take you right up there, and I will give you whatever's in that file cabinet. No kidding. Well, my God, how could you not show up right. just out of curiosity? Right. You get that right. Yeah. So I walk up there, and he, again, he had mint condition playlists. You remember the radio stations would you bet. give out playlists at disc records or right. Apple Tree records right. or whatever. Here's our top 100. Yes. Here's our top. Exactly. Every week. Yep. Usually had a radio announcer yep. or a band on it. All right. So here were these small ones from WROK, late 60s, early 70s. Oh, dang. One of them has Doug McDuff's picture on it. And I thought Doug was going to pee his pants when I gave it to him. The other ones, That's awesome. The other ones were WYFE. And back then, they had a format that they were specifically gearing uh, the stay-at-home wipes. And so they wanted you to pronounce WYFE as wife. Wife. Yeah. And they, they literally Never spelled heard that it. Story. Yeah, they literally spelled it out for you. And they had a lady in a skirt and an apron, you know, the old Ozzy and Harriet you bet. thing. You bet. On the playlist. Well, the other ones were WLS. No kidding. Yes. And <sighs> I'm telling you, they were in mint condition. So when we went to the second induction ceremonies for the Illinois Rock and Roll Hall of Fame right. down in Joliet. Right. I took these down to Ron, and I said, are you interested in them? Because they had Lou Jack and all these guys wow. that are in wow. the museum right. already. Right. And, of course, we donated them and how they use them, however they're going to do. But I maybe gave them maybe eight or nine. And then on the WROK side, I went through all of these playlists, and I looked up the band to see if they originated in Illinois, like the Buckinghams. Sure, yeah. sure. And I think there was maybe eight of them. That were from Illinois. Sticks, Ario, Cheap yeah. something. What is it? Cheap. Uh... <laughs> Rick Nelson. Yeah, yeah. Rick, yeah, yeah, right, right. Rick Nelson and the cheap whatever. And Rick, if you're listening, he knows I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, so I sent those down to him. And, of course, the museum's not done yet. You know, they're building and building. I think they've got the first floor done yet. But it, it's sort of cool that what Mark Peabody didn't want to take... That's funny. It's going to end up in a museum. <laughs> and that guy, you know, look at all the people over the years that he's met just oh. because of having to run down and fix something on the spot at the Coronado, at the Metro Center, at the, you know, wherever. Because he was the guy. <clears throat> right. Yeah. You know, because guys like Bruce Hammond and those guys, you know, I'm sure they had a close working relationship with Mark and something went down. Okay, we've got a guy here in Rockford. We don't need to go to Chicago. Yes, and he's been doing it for 40 years. Yeah. Crazy. Tell me the connection with the uh, WROK family, let's say that, because uh, after the Nolte's owned WROK and WZOK, um, it expanded out to Cumulus and Town Square and other owners Correct. over the years, and they acquired extra radio stations. Um, you worked for the Eagle for I a did. time period. And uh, that was obviously after WXRX. Yeah. How did all that happen? Because that, to me, even though I know you, that, to me, is a blur. And I don't know why. When um, David McCallie and Bob Ray sold Radio Works, basically, I didn't come with the building. 
you know <laughs> you know there there was a you know there was a number of us that that were let go and back in those days too and I look back and I get it I was in my own head uh, a perfectionist and I I didn't have um, patience with new people I didn't have patience with um, I you know my work ethic was much like yours uh, and, and still is. I'll, I'll give you 110% every day. Thank and you. I, I don't, um, I don't like leaving things undone. I don't like if there's, you know, people used to think I was unsocial because I wouldn't hang out at the water fountain, so to speak, and chat in the kitchen. It, but if there was work done, I always did my work first. Mm-hmm. And if there was time left over, typically I wanted to get out of there. I kind of did that to myself. But anyway, I remember David McCalley saying uh, he wanted to talk to me. I knew exactly what was going on. It was a Sunday. We met at Applebee's at Riverside and Alpine. And uh, I think he had a couple of drinks before because we had worked together 16 years. I told him and Bob Ray, I I owe my career to you guys because, um, to make a short story long. uh, It's okay. We have all kinds of time. David... The, the reason we had success at Radio Works is because David, as a GM, instead of sitting in the leather, in the leather chair down, down the hall, he rolled up his sleeves and got in the trenches with us, and he knew how to win. He surrounded himself with good people. Mm-hmm. You know, I was on a number one rated radio station. I played a very small part of that because everybody collectively gave 110% to him, and we just... Um, including David, he would eat, sleep, and drink our station. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that was uh, um, the reason for our success. He surrounded himself with good people, put together a good, solid team, uh, including uh, on and off air, the salespeople, and we just went for it. Well, now, it sounds like you had the same thing going there on Sandy Hollow as we did at WROK and WZOK back you, in the you're day. You're right, with because Mr. Nolte. You, because you feed off of each other. Correct. And it's Correct. a beehive. Correct. And it doesn't matter whether you're an accounting person or you're the maintenance guy or engineer, you are part of the beehive. You're you part bet. of the energy. And it sounds like that's what you guys had. Well, and, and each day you're conquering a little bit more part of, a little bit more of that hill. You know, and it was a constant, hey, you know, if, we, if we're if we here, we can get there. If we're there, we can get. Oh, so anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, we met on a Sunday. I put my key to the building in my shirt pocket. Whatever I needed to, to return to the station is their property. You know, and it was just a, maybe a few items, but I had those items with me. Wow. No one, and he didn't know that I knew that he was getting ready to release me. But that was part of the deal. He had to let me go. They didn't want to deal with it. And so I had everything in order. I had a couple of questions. Hey, you know, my contract, all that kind of stuff. And I still had seven weeks left on my contract. Okay. And um, he basically let me go, you know. He had tears in his eyes. I had tears in my eyes and uh, because he was an awesome guy to work for. And so we parted ways. Um, I spent the next seven weeks because I had a non-compete, so I couldn't work uh, anywhere else. And in the meantime, I had contacted Greg, shoot, at uh, Cumulus, the general general manager. Um, It'll come to me. I, I contacted him and Steve Brill. Um, you know, they had they had just launched a classic rock station a year or two earlier called the Eagle, which is the old WLUV 
96.7 frequency that they bought from Joe Salvi. That's, I had no idea. That's the spin I had on no that no idea. Yes. They paid millions no of dollars kidding. for that frequency, and that's all they wanted was the frequency. And it was what, 3,300 watts maybe? Yeah. And, wow. and Joe never once, after having that sale, never once changed his way of life at all. Period. No kidding. No, to the day he died. I may have met Joe Salvi one time. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, he was a character. Oh, you know, my goodness. He was a character. And he and David McCalley, you know, they knew each other pretty good because I, I remember his name coming up in conversation. Yeah. Um, just because they were both in the same business, yeah. obviously. Wow. So anyway, those guys, <laughs> I, I met those guys for lunch. Um, they offered me a job, and, you know, so I went to the Eagle for a couple Greg Strassel. Was that him at ROK and ZOK? It could have been. I was there for, for a couple of years. I worked for... Uh, Steve Brill, mm-hmm. who there's an, another guy with a huge voice, and he had back problems. So I don't know what studio, the the Eagle Studio, I don't know what that used to be as far as that room is concerned, mm-hmm. as far as a radio station. So when you walked into the studio, the console was right there. So the, the desk was right there. To the right was a place for a news person to sit, and then you had to walk around uh, a desk, uh, like a, a arm of a desk, and then over here to get to the studio. Well, there was that little aisle right there was very narrow. So when Steve Brill, after his shift, he had back problems, like I said, big guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would lay right there on the floor. And there were, I bet you, 10 times during my two years there, I would have to step around him or crawl over the counter because he was laying there on the hard floor because of his back in order to get on on the air and start my shift. Oftentimes, he would still be laying there for 30 minutes into my shift because his back was hurting. Well, why didn't you just go pick another room? That was my question. <laughs> oh, my God. We've, we've got the whole building. You do yes. have an office. It's the same floor. It's on the other side of this wall. It was something. But then again, we are talking about Steve Brill. That's right. So, yeah, right. There, there, there is a, there is a, a whole show. There's a whole show connected <laughs> with that. That's hilarious. If you um, had to go back on the air with somebody, dead or alive, who would it be? Kirby Grant. Who's Kirby Grant? Kirby Grant was, now I'm dating myself, Kirby Grant was an actor who played Sky King. Okay. That was the character that I was named after. If you remember Roy Rogers. Yes. Okay. Same era, television, clean, wholesome television. If you go back and watch television, you would think, golly, this is cheesy. But it was just good, clean, wholesome television. Yeah. Um, he was a, a cowboy-type guy. Instead of a horse, he had an airplane called the Songbird. <laughs> and uh, his daughter, his niece was Penny. Now, there's going to be people out there that say, gosh, I used to watch that as a kid. Yeah. Um, he used to be on, and I believe it was Saturday mornings, but it was a weekly television series for a number of years. Kirby Grant was the, the actor. And his in-laws attended, attended my dad's church in Mattoon, Illinois. And so um, through them, uh, we were able to actually meet Kirby Grant when he was here from Hollywood. I've got a picture of he and I standing in front of uh, 
their house when I was two years old. He's holding me in his arms. Oh my. I have a picture of he and I standing in front of that same house, Tim, in front of the same window, almost in the exact same spot, 24 years later, right before uh, he got killed. So I had an opportunity one time to take my little handheld cassette recorder that had the little slide-out handle and the little microphone. Yeah, we all had them. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and so to go did. there and interview him, he wore, um, what do they call the cowboy ties? That it's just a rope? Bolo. Bolo. Mm-hmm. He had a bolo tie with the songbird wings on it, and it said Sky King. There was only one. I have that. What? Uh, he gave that to me. I actually took it to Pawn Stars when my wife and I were in Vegas a number of years oh ago. God. And we got to see the old man. He was he went from one room to the next. I waved and he waved, and that was it. <clears throat> but the rest of the guys weren't there. But we went to, uh, went to there. I took them. I just wanted to see what it was worth. I really had no intentions of selling it. Yeah. But because I didn't have a letter of authenticity um, oh. stating, so I get it. You know, they can't, you know, but, I mean, you can tell it's – you know, from the 60s, yeah. pro- probably from the, the 50s, because the, the first uh, 8 by 10 that he signed for me was August 10th of 1962, to my namesake, Sky, blah, blah, blah. He was kind of a big deal back then for early Saturday morning kids TV. If you go to airplane shows and stuff like that, oftentimes they'll have uh, the songbird or a replica of the songbird on display. Uh, like a static display, wow. and sometimes you'll see Sky King. If you buy a, um, there's air on, or like airplane related magazines, mm-hmm. and you can buy old tapes and stuff of Sky King. But <clears throat> that said, I really never got a chance to sit and interview him after I had experience under my belt. Oh. Because early in the days, you know, so what are you? You know, <laughs> yeah. your, your hand's going back and forth, and you're, you're talking, but you've got the, the microphone over to his, yeah. his mouth because you're, you're nervous. It's but always I, so awkward know. when you listen to right. it 10 years later. It's like, what was I thinking? Right. And oh, so it's I never had that chance to later to really sit down and just listen. Because that's how you interview. You listen. Yes. You don't. That's what used to aggravate me about Jay Leno. He would sit there with his list of questions. Way and, too scripted. And you could have said, you know, I just, uh, I just ran over my dog last night on purpose because I was tired of her peeing on the floor. And Jay Leno would say, mm-hmm, let me ask you this. How, how is your wife doing these days? <laughs> well, she's sad because I ran over the dog. <laughs> exactly. On purpose. But, oh, God, that's so true, though. And Johnny Carson was a different animal. I saw oh. Johnny Carson. I also saw Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, I was Live, to, you mean? Yes. Yeah. And, oh, and, and, and Johnny Carson... He was the king. Oh, he, was, he, was, he would bounce off whatever you said, and it would be funny. And he was really, really good at it because he did it for a very, very long time. That goes hand in hand. You know, you wouldn't do it for a very, very long time if you sucked at it. In Look most at the cases, roads that in, guy paved. In most cases, yes. And uh, Jack Parr was on wow. the show that night. Wow. And Jack Parr is a little bit like Robin Williams. All you have to do is say, hello, Jack. <laughs> and then he just keeps going. And I sort of felt bad for Johnny that Johnny didn't have his part because it should be like a tennis match. You know, it right. should be going back and forth. And Jack just, I don't know if he was all wound up like an eight-day clock. You know, he used to be the host before right. the, you bet. before him. Um, and then when uh, when I saw Jimmy Kimmel, I learned the most from Jimmy Kimmel 
You talk about sitting in the corner and observing. Right. I learned the most from Jimmy Kimmel on show prep. That guy's energy with show prep on cue cards and what he's going to do in his monologue is magical. Okay. It's, it's so cool. I was able to do a behind-the-scenes uh, tour through the Disney group that I belong right. with. And, of course, Disney, ABC, you, you know, bet. all that connected. And we went to the Charlie Chaplin studio, which is nice. now the Jim Henson nice. studio and so on and so forth. And that would have been worth the trip alone just to be able to see what I saw at Jimmy Kimmel's show. That's awesome. Isn't that something? I have a story for you that I don't know if you are privy to. This is a Jack Buck story with a guy by the name of John O'Leary. Do you know that at all? Nope. Okay. I, obviously, I know Jack Buck. Yeah, Jack Buck was. Louis. Yeah, Jack Buck was the uh, St. Louis Cardinals uh, stadium announcer, is what I call yep. it. And uh, Joe Buck, of course, is his son. Yep. In mm-hmm. F- National mm-hmm. Football League, yeah, and Joe does everything yeah. now. Yeah, World yeah. Series football, everything. Olympics. Yep. So uh, there was a conference that we were at in Las Vegas. And I was doing a uh, promotion for the American Solutions Company, and I was at the greeting desk of this keynote speaker event that we were having. So people come in, and then they sign in, and they go into the room. And people say, all right, so here comes this guy that he's walking with a little weird stagger in his walk, and he's dragging a small suitcase behind him. I knew something was a little off. And as he got closer to me, you could see that he was burned on his face. And he didn't extend his hand for a handshake because his fingers were burned. And he was our keynote speaker. His name is John O'Leary. He's from St. Louis. When he was nine years old, he just went out into the garage and wanted to know what would happen to this can of gas if he struck a match to it. Oh, dang. Yeah. Dang. 95% of his body was burned. He has zero chance of surviving. Nine years old. He did survive, obviously. Very, very successful. Author, motivational speaker, married, kids, whole nine yards. Well, as he's in the hospital for months, the doctors and nurses would come and go and change his dressings, which is painful enough for a burn person and back in those days too you know no the technology wasn't where it is today so who knows what he went through that's right and and the doctors and nurses had soft soled shoes because they wanted to be able to come in check your meters check something without waking you up sure all right well this guy that kept coming in and visiting him daily had street shoes on so click, 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 like maybe, I don't know, six o'clock in the evening. Well, here's this nine-year-old kid, and he's laying in the bed looking straight up. He can't see. He can't see who's coming. And this voice leans down to him, and he says, when you get out of this bed, we're going to have a John O'Leary day at Bush Stadium. So you need to get out of this bed. And he'd leave. Click, 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 click. Never knew who he was. Never was there when the parents were there. He would do that every day? Every day. And it was Jack Buck. No kidding. He read about him in the newspaper. He would leave the ballpark. 
And he would come by and he would say that no more conversation than that, but just says, you need to do whatever it takes to get out of this bed. I wonder if he was in Barnes Hospital right down there, just 10 don't, minutes from I, downtown St. Louis. I, I don't know which hospital. Wow. So as it progressed, he brought him, Jack brought him an autographed baseball from whoever. And he says, I will bring you another one if you write him a thank you note. If you don't write him a thank you note, you will never get another baseball from me. Well, his fingers were just right. horrible. And they, he they had probably to, stubs. He, yeah, he had to start all over. And, of course, the mother is sitting there and saying, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. And, of course, he's motivated to do you it. Bet. He's a huge baseball fan. And, of course, he'd, he'd come back the next day and he'd have this thank you card. So he'd take it back to, let's say, Ozzie Smith for the right. sake of argument. Right. And he'd bring back, you know, some because, God, there's every baseball player coming through St. Louis. It's probably Red Shandy's back in those yeah, days. Could, yeah, it could be. But, you know. but the visiting teams, too. Okay. You know, so Dang. he had base. So he had right. sixty-three baseballs by the time it was done. No kidding. Jack was in his wedding. Jack came to his graduation, and on and on and on. And of course, Jack was KMOX. Right. I mean, right. uh, you know, just a, a milestone announcer. Uh, he was the K- Bob Collins of St. Louis. He was yes, and he's in Cooperstown at the Baseball Hall of Fame. You bet. And I went out there to um, uh, Cooperstown for the, the Hall of Fame induction when Lee Smith of the Cubs was oh, inducted. Dang. Yeah. And I'm walking through, and you know, certain things hit you in a certain way. And I get into the broadcast thing sort of unexpectedly, and I see Jack Brickhouse, and then I see Jack Buck. And I see this story come back into my head of John O'Leary. And it just, it made your skin crawl right? because of things that all transpired by that one guy who didn't know the family that wow. took just that little bit of time out of his day on the way home to inspire that kid at nine years old. And of course, Jack's gone now, right? but he knew him well into his 40s. Isn't that something? I love so, stories like that. So it sort of makes you wonder, what are you doing now? You, being anybody, what are you doing now that may have that ripple effect, that butterfly effect, that you will have no clue? Right. You will never see the circle story come and back it's the again. little things. Very tiny things. You know, because yeah. that's, all, that's all he did was walk in and just say a sentence. And and they did have a John O'Leary day, you know, when he got out of the hospital. Gosh. They did have it. And, of course, you know, it was woo-woo, and right. everybody knew the right. story. and. The other part of his keynote speakers that we were all sitting there, he gave us a sheet of paper and a pen at each place setting. And he says, I want you to write down five things that you're grateful for. I don't care what topic, what era, if it's current, if it's a long time ago, your, your first grade teacher, does not matter. Just write down five things that you're grateful for. I'll be over here while you're thinking about that. So he walks over and all of a sudden we hear a piano playing. The damn guy can play a piano with half his fingers. That's cool. It's just, oh God, it's just crazy. He just constantly amazed us throughout that motivational speech. Is he still alive? He is. Yeah. Very successful books, keynote speakers, so on and so forth. That would be somebody I'd like to hear speak. (laughs) Well. I mean, talk about leaving a lasting impression. You could do it. Gosh, that's that's incredible. Isn't that something? But I thought you'd like that story because of the whole St. Louis thing. yeah. Yeah. I grew up listening to Jack Buck. 
Hey, did you ever interview anybody or meet anybody in the country flavor when you were at WKKN, or was that too early in your career? I did. I have a picture of Reba McIntyre and I when she was playing county fairs. I met her at the (laughs) Moultrie-Douglas County Fair in Arcola, Illinois. About 300 people were there to see uh, this up-and-coming country girl. On the stage, she wore cowboy boots, blue jeans, and those... You know, it was a button up the front shirt, but only it was snaps. Yeah, of course. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. You know, before she got into the glitter in her hair. And yeah. The, yeah. Well, she's a rodeo person. You know, she's from, I think, Oklahoma. And she ran barrels, I think. No way, kidding. Yes. She's a little bitty thing, too. Yes. Way before she became a country star. She, yeah. Nobody knew who she was. She had, you know, one song on the charts. And wow. So that was kind of neat. You know, I had all kinds of access when I worked at WFRL and WLUV to country artists because that's just the way they're built. They're, you know? They were way more approachable than any rock yeah. um, in- band. That- incredibly welcoming. Yep. So I would sit in the dressing rooms or the, the travel bus of, you know, the Mandrell sisters, Barbara oh, and Louise. Why? And then when they got the NBC variety show, of course, all gates were shut. You know, because you then everybody you knew bet. them. They were superstars. Everybody wanted them. Yeah. We're at the beginning. It's like, hey, come on in. And they were just the most welcoming people I think I'd ever been a part of. And one of those cassettes, because, uh, again, I had my whole, you know, small little cassette player with you the bet. very cheesy microphone, the whole thing. Um, that was one of those cassettes as I was able to digitize with Barbara Mandrell. And it was during the pandemic. And I had seen some kind of a picture from 1979 that my girlfriend took of Barbara and her daughter and me. And so I printed it out and I go, eh, you know, what are the chances? But I looked up Barbara Mandrell fan club. Yes, it's there. And there's a Henderson, you know, Tennessee right. address. I go, ah, what the heck? So I said, hey, I interviewed you in 1979, so on and so forth. And I shot it. I go, well, it's sort of like a bottle in the lake. You know, I'll never you see it again. No response. And about eight months later, I got a response, an autographed picture. And I sent her a book. And she was very complimentary of all the different things in the book. And just, just the sweetest person. I think she's 71 or 72 now, something like that. Oh, at least. Yeah. And just the, the greatest Barbara, people. Barbara, Louise. And Erlene. Erlene. I couldn't think of the other one. Yeah. 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 And another one that I found that I was able to digitize was Charlie Pride. It was two weeks after that was that near miss in the airplane. You bet. And believe it or not, we did not talk country music. We talked baseball because he played for the Milwaukee Brewers. Yes, he did. I remember that. Mm-hmm. He was a professional baseball player. Yep. And massive hands. Massive man. I never met Charlie Pride. Oh, my goodness. Because, you, you, you know, when I was doing country, it was so rare to have an African-American mm-hmm. in country music. And mm-hmm. so that's how people would refer to him as opposed to just being an artist or a yes. superstar, which he was. Yes. Um, they, you know, pe- even back then, people were like, well, that's the African-American guy. You know, it's like... <laughs> Oh, it's Charlie. Yeah, exactly. Why yeah. do you have to stress that? What does it make any difference? <laughs> and, you know, there was a guy that worked at WROK in the late uh, 70s. His name is Shotgun Mark Rivers. Does that name ring a bell to you? When did you come to town? 83? Um, probably 85, something okay. like that. All right. His name is Mike Lamb. Uh, we connected. We still have been friends forever. 
He's responsible for putting Storyteller Studio on the podcast platforms. That's awesome. In Arizona. And I was telling him about the digitizing that I was doing and I told him about Charlie Pride. And he goes, yeah, you know, I worked for a radio station that Charlie Pride owned. And I was coming out of the production room and all of a sudden I hear this voice that was very not normal for right, our radio right. station. He had a very unique voice. Yeah. And, and a cool he, accent. And he Southern was, accent. And he was there because he owned the radio station. He was doing some kind of, you know, tour of the stations he owned. That's awesome. I mean, come on. Who works for Just, a radio station owned by Charlie Pride? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Leave, yeah, leave it <laughs> leave it up to Shotgun Mark Rivers. Uh, do you have a preference of formats that you worked on when you are saying country and AOR and top 40? Did you have a preference one way or the other? Uh, classic rock was my favorite. Oh, Just yeah. Just because I grew up listening to that music. I can relate to that music. I know that music. And I enjoyed sharing that music. I enjoyed um, looking up stuff. I remember... There's the, the website still exists. It's, it's called songfacts.com, S-O-N-G-F-A-C-T-S.com. Hmm. And I, I could go there and find out, you know, so many minutes into the Led Zeppelin song, Blank, um, you could hear John Bonham's uh, drum pedal, pedal squeaking. And I'm like, oh, I was never a comedian. Uh, on the air. I was never a bit guy where you would set up, you know, bits and have characters. I was never a, I was just ordinary average guy. And just because we stole that from the Joe Wall song, Ordinary Average Guy. Did you really? Mm -hmm. Yep. But we just, it was, I was just a a regular guy. I like to talk about things happening in the community. If I could make a difference and help somebody, um, whether they're raising money for this or that, I, I always like talking about those things. I was big on, you know, PSAs. Um, that, that was it. That was me. I, and, and talking about music because I loved music and I loved stuff. I, you know, when I get an album, when I would get an album or if I'd get a CD, first thing I'd do is look at the credits and I would read those end to end because I always found that stuff fascinating. And you were trying to connect the dots. Oh, so-and-so's yep, on this. Correct. Oh, correct. wow. And so for whatever reason, people would relate to me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just try to be a regular guy. And maybe for a while, unconsciously, I took that, I took it for granted, as opposed to appreciating where I had been given an opportunity to go with my job. So, yeah, um, but some of those people try to be that so bad and fail. And I think you took it for granted just because you were doing you. Yeah. And I, like, and I was never, a, you know, it's still humbling today when people, remember my name or people, you know, I recognize your voice as soon as you start talking, you know, <laughs> and that just, that humbles me beyond explanation. It, it does. I'm thinking, wow, that's, that's awesome. It's crazy that that happens. Has that happened to you mm-hmm. recently? Like oh, in sure. a grocery just, store or something? Well, just, uh, you know, last week when, uh, here's my daughter, Skylar, you know, and when people say that, you know, they're like, man, I remember when you used to do Skies Guys. I remember when you used to do Split Shots and Hot Spots. I remember when you used to do, and I'm thinking, dang, you know, for whatever reason in somebody's life, maybe I made at least some kind of impact. Some You know, positive or negative. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's stories about that too. But, you know, you, you did, and it's like, wow, that's, I, I did it, you know, and it's like, that was fun. Would I ever do it again? Yes, in a heartbeat. 
just like Fred Spear. You bet. I miss. Yeah. I do miss it. Well, and honestly, I think that's why Liz and I are doing the life's three by fives and the storytellers, um, because it'd be a lot easier if we didn't. <laughs> You, you know, but I don't want to sit home and watch another episode of Seinfeld. You know, right. that type of right. thing. Although and, I do do that. And, Not well, that I there's do, anything wrong with I that. Do, <laughs> I do too. I really do. Because there's nothing like Elaine, man, right. with her expressions. You got that right. Um, but, I don't see how you guys walk around with those things. But when, <laughs> <laughs> And why does it shrivel up? Why right, does it right. shrivel oh, up? I don't understand. Right turtle. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Don't get me started on Seinfeld. <laughs> you can write a book. You know on what? It. <laughs> let me let me get off track for a second. Back when Pete and Linda were on the air, oh sure, uh, Seinfeld was on every week. Okay, I never watched an episode, but in hindsight, I'll remember something about Seinfeld that those guys were talking about, and I had no idea what they were talking about on the air. Oh my! But you know, obviously, they were huge Seinfeld fans. Because I didn't watch it until it got off the air, and, and I watched the reruns. Isn't that hilarious? Because I remember one week that, and I never noticed it, that Pete wore the same outfit every day for a week to see if Linda would notice that. Well, that came from a Seinfeld episode. Pete is so but, creative. You know, yeah, he, yeah, very creative. He very is. creative. And, and have you kept track of Pete and Linda? Uh, I still talk to Linda every little bit on Facebook, and I'll see Pete... Um, you know, on Facebook or I'll, you know, comment to him or I'll, at a Radio Works reunion, uh, I got to talk to him for a little bit. Yeah. I don't really stay in touch with him. You know, he's big time in Chicago, he you is. know, and he's done a couple of different stations, but... He was on The Drive. He was on WLS. He was yeah. on WGN. He is now doing a syndicated program. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I think there's six stations, if I'm not mistaken. And he also has a podcast so then they will take, let's say, for instance, they interview somebody that's topical. Uh, they, they will take nine minutes out of that 20-minute interview and put it on the podcast platform. Okay. And he's got, Rob is his first name. He met him at WLS as a news guy. He's part of the team. There's a Lisa girl. I can't remember her last name, but I think they met when he was Lisa doing more. Lisa Fielding? No, no, no. Okay. No. Uh, I think they met when he was doing mornings on the drive and they have all just sort of come together for this other project. Lisa Fielding, by the way, who's another WROK alumni, right. uh, she does afternoons on WBBM news radio, right, right? Afternoons across the street is Lisa Dent, who is on WZOK. Right, She's right. on WGN. And if you go across the street, the other way afternoons on V103 is Joe Soto. I knew Joe was in Chicago. I didn't know where. Yes. So those people awesome. battle in the afternoon in Chicago. That's awesome. Yeah, it's sort of crazy. I wonder if they it? stay in touch with each other. They do. Do they? Yeah, they do. When we did uh, Storytellers with uh, Lisa Dent, uh, we posted some stuff. And Lisa Feeling says, why didn't you give me a call when you came into town? Well, you know, it's a full day. Right. Yeah. Right. So Lisa says... Well, I can get Jim Mulvaney together, and I can get Joe Soder together. Let's do it all at the same time. And I'm going, oh, my God, five microphones with people that like to talk that can finish each other's sentences. That's Holy neat. crap. This will be an afternoon. That's neat. And it was two and a half hours. No kidding. Yeah. And they are the closest of friends. They travel abroad together. They've no gone kidding. to Dubai. They go out to lunch and dinner all the time. They are the closest of friends, those three. 
Isn't that hilarious? All from the Brentwood studio. Yes, ex- <laughs> yes, exactly. Was there a uh, favorite station promotion that you just absolutely loved that was either a one-time deal or a reoccurring, doesn't matter what radio station you were at? Skies, guys. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> David McCallie came up with the name. And the reason, it, just because it, it, it touched so many people and... It was unique. A lot of things I did on the radio were um, out of the ordinary, like split shots and hot spots. I used to do a one-minute one fishing segment with uh, pro angler Ted Pack, and I remember them guys saying, you guys, it's never going to work on a rock station. And it was huge. Yes. It was huge. People would call in to listen. You could call a, you know, our number and listen to a recording of it, and people would <laughs> call and listen to that line. It was always busy. <laughs> but Skies Guys, we, we received a letter from a guy named Matt that worked at the Maryville Farm Campus in Durand. Maryville Farm Campus was a branch uh, of Chicago's City of Youth, uh, and out there they housed physically and sexually abused or neglected children. And I think they were between the ages of like 8 and 17, 8 and 18, something like that. One of the homes, this guy named Matt, um, he had eight boys in his home. Okay. So we're coming up on Christmas season. He wanted to buy those kids something for Christmas. I've got eight kids. I would like to spend about 100 bucks on each one. Okay. This was probably early to mid-90s when we, when we received that letter. I still have it. And uh, how did he find you? Just he just wrote the radio station. He just wrote the radio station in general. Is there any way you guys could help us out? Having nothing to know with what you already had going on. This was how Skies Guys was founded. Oh, this was how it was born. Oh, gotcha. So he goes, okay. Hey, can you? So in our promotions meetings, um, when we first launched this radio station, David McCallie, Bob Ray, myself, and Tim Krull, mm-hmm. every Tuesday night we go to like places like Jungle Gyms and have dinner, a nice dinner, drink wine, and talk about radio station. How do we, what are we doing? What are we doing? Where we're at? What have we got coming up? You know, how do we make it bigger, better? You know, we've got WROK, WZOK. How do we compete with those guys? Mm -hmm. Sort of a stop, start, and continue. That's exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. And so um, we got this letter, and and David presented it, and uh, we had talked about maybe putting me on a billboard, you know, they would put a jock up on a billboard and you'd broadcast live for three days, you know. Yeah. It was coming up on fall. I despise winter. And I'm like, <laughs> negative, you know. Because <laughs> that whole idea of staying up there until uh, you earn the money, oh, yeah. God. Because so it's like, unpredictable. You it, don't know. You got that right. <laughs> yeah. So I go, you know, why don't we just, you know, let's just keep it simple. I went on the air, explained, and David, he basically gave me the ball and said, you know, run with this. You know, there's a bunch of kids in Durand. Here's their story. Um, I need to raise 800 bucks. You know, I'm asking 800 people to send me a dollar. So, you know, oh. Jerry Lewis is like, send 50, send 100. If you can donate 1,000, I'm like, well, let's keep it simple. Oh. You know, let's make it doable. 800. So I was, uh, that year, I was 80 bucks shy of doubling of 1,600 bucks. And I'm like, this is awesome. Wow. So right after Christmas, and I forget who the bands were. I, w- I want to say Moody Blues, but I don't remember. I thought, you know, it would be cool because they, they were coming to the Metro Center. And I thought it would be cool if I could get something autographed from these guys 
And then maybe next year, if this Skies Guys thing takes off, maybe I could auction it off and raise money that way. That's how it was born. And I found out that over the years, Tim, that if you were an artist Mm -hmm. and I ask you, can you give me something autographed? You might give me that pen there Mm -hmm. and sign it. Mm -hmm. However, I said, hey, Tim, if I send you something, with a return air bill inside the box along with a a Sharpie pen. Would you take the time to open it, sign it, and don't let the UPS guy leave? Say, give me five minutes. Here you go. Tape it back up. Take it with you. And, you know, that was kind of my... Because now all you're asking for is time. Three minutes of your time. Oh, my. Open it, sign it, send it back. And that's how Skies Guys were born. The last year of Skies Guys, I auctioned off 25 autographed guitars. I would go visit Eric Jenkins at Gazardo Music, and he would give me his cost on my guitars. Um, so I would buy the guitars at cost. It was like 200 bucks for a, an acoustic Gibson, or I don't know what, I don't know anything about. Fender music. or somebody. Correct. Yeah. So then I would uh, wrap it up. I would put a return air bill in it. I would put a, a Sharpie pen and send it. And so my last year, 25 guitars. I had Garth Brooks. I had Aerosmith. I had Shania Twain. I had Deep Purple. Sky. You know, it was crazy. Out on the Maryville campus, there's still a just a very small building that has a pool table and stuff in it with my name on it. You know? Whoa. And then there's a nice little... Um, they take the interest every year and buy those kids Christmas presents. And when they were buying the, these kids Christmas presents, they weren't buying them toys and things like that. They were basically buying them the essentials for winter. A winter coat, a winter hat a winter boots, because the, the additional funds weren't there. Even These better. were necessities. Yeah. And so... Um, Even better. You know, and that's when I say, I'd be at LTs and somebody come up and put 100 bucks in my hand and say, hey, man, this is for Skies Guys. You know, and we auctioned off some really cool stuff. I had a John McEnroe uh, banner, uh, tambourine from the Moody Blues. Uh, they actually sent me two and said one was for me for, for helping these kids. Um, did but, the record guys help you with contacts? Because yeah, they did. It's and not just people that just happened to come through town. No, nope, the, the record, deal. the record, you know, the, the record guys. And I would, you know, look up and I don't even know where I would source because we didn't have the internet. Then I would look up, you know, different management company and I would call, write, you know, type a letter and all that stuff I did on my time, you know, type letters and stuff, you know, so I got a call one day, David Lee Roth the original lead singer of Van Halen. He was kind of out there. He was a <laughs> yeah. He was a little out there. I remember <laughs> one time on Jay Leno, uh, David Lee Roth come out with like an Elvis-type jumpsuit on with this huge collar, and he was just talking way out in left field, and Jay Leno looks at the mic and said, or looks right at the camera and said, somebody needs to change their bong water. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, David Lee Roth's manager called me, and he goes, um, David wants to know if he can, if he can add something additional on here, or do you just you know do you just want his signature? And I said, well, this is for physically and sexually abused kids, you know, so it has to yeah, it has to be proper. It has to be, you know, he took he turned that guitar over Tim and drew the most beautiful cornucopia in colored uh, permanent markers. Whoa! And on the front, he signed, "Hell yeah." David Lee Roth, and then he dated it. Wow. Do you have like, picture evidence of yep, all I, these I've things? I've got all that. Um, do you know who Joe Bonamassa is? I know the name. Joe Bonamassa is a guy that he's a, a blues artist, 
one of my favorite guitar players. Um, a number of years ago, my son, he turned on to like a PBS channel just okay. by accident and said, Dad, you got to come and listen to this guy. And here's Eric Clapton coming out on stage to back up Joe Bonamassa. So when Clapton backs you up, you know you've made that it. That tells you something. You know, and so I saw him at the Coronado. I've seen him at the Chicago Theater. Is he still and, with us? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh he's, he, you know, uh, my wife and I flew out two years ago to Red Rocks. Oh, And it hell, was a sold-out show. He did three nights at Red Rocks. Oh. So anyway, back in the in the <laughs> 90s, uh, Leonard Skinner was in town, and they had this young band opening up called Bloodline. The reason they named their band Bloodline, one of the kids' dads was in the Allman Brothers, one of the kids' dads was in Leonard Skinner. I don't know the, the remember the, all the connections, but the only guy who wasn't related to someone famous was this 19-year-old guitar player named Joe Bonamassa. And so somewhere in Rockford, someone has a Bloodline-signed guitar with his name when he was a kid. Nobody oh, knew who he was. That is so cool. Yeah. Wow. You know, I had Garth Brooks. I had Crosby, Stills, and Nash. You oh. know, those guys played at Woodstock. Wow. You know, and so the the whole Skies Guys thing, you know, people will, when I meet them today, they'll say, man, I remember that. You know, I used to donate to that. That and, is so cool. You know, they, you know, even if, um, well, first of all, I, I was thinking about when you were talking about... Um, your guy that you wanted to be back on the air with, the airplane guy with the ball. Sky King. Sky King. I'm going to give you a little homework assignment. Uh I think that you ought to take a picture of that bolo. Have you ever looked at my high school grades? Homework assignments (laughs) did not exist. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this may be an easier one. This may be just so simple that you'll get a grade A no matter what. Tell that story and take a picture of that bolo and send it to the EAA in Oshkosh. Because they love that history stuff, and it's all that experimental aircraft association, and they would love to be able to have that aero tie, no pun intended, with with what you're <laughs> you know doing. the the when I was talking about Sky King and I said there's airplane publications where you can buy old. Uh, used to be VHS copies of the Sky King episodes. Mm-hmm. It was an EAA uh, newsletter. Oh, my. Because someone sent that to me and said, hey, if you're looking for... See, they uh, would love that. So that's your homework assignment. I've got a, a, a hand-signed letter from him, um, a couple of 8x10s. I've got you know his obituary, um, his bolo tie. Wow. That would be kind of neat. It would. And just make you reproductions know? of it. You don't necessarily right, need right. to give them the original. Right. The other side to this is if you ever think to start up Sky's Guys again, I have... If a, I went on the air, <laughs> I, I would do it in a heartbeat. I bet you would. I bet that uh, an, a WROK and WZOK alumni would jump on board with you in a New York minute. Do you know who Don K is? You bet. Don Kronberg. He's been a concert promoter for 30 years. I just talked to him a couple weeks ago. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. He's such a super guy. And he's traveling all over the Midwest he with is. Kevin James. And I forget the comedian that was just recently. Charlie Barons. Charlie Barons. Yep. And, and the yeah. Beach Boys. The be- and yep. on and on and on. Well, he has access. You, yeah, I never he has about access. Right. The whole deal right. there. Right. You wouldn't have to go hunting. All you'd have to go say, hey, Don, and here's you my bet. address. Mail it his... to... That's right. Yeah. You know, Who's but... to say that you... Nah, I'm not being Liz Wilder here, but I'm sort you of... You don't have the legs. I know. I don't, I don't have Liz Wilder anything, trust me. But 
you know, Liz is is such a sweetheart. And if you end up saying more than three sentences on a topic, you're going down that path and it's going to become reality. Right. All right. So this is where I think I'm sort of being a Liz. Because why couldn't you do this on the podcast platforms as opposed to the radio platform? They have online auctions. They have all kinds of charities that need help. Why couldn't you do that on the podcast platform as if you were on the radio? I never thought about it. And get those donations and get those charitables and get those things from Don K or anybody Tell you else. What, it's a lot of work. It is a it lot was, of work. It was like having two jobs. It is. It is. But I'm I'm sort of thinking that technology is sort of making it easier. I think. I don't know. Because you said back then you didn't really need necessarily have the internet access to just go Google something. Right. And then all of a sudden right. you've got the contact. Right. You had to rely on your record reps and your right. personal connections and somebody knows somebody in your six degrees of separation. You yeah. had to rely on all that. Phone books. As, <laughs> as we all did. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think there's something there. I mean, I'm not trying to push you down a rabbit hole, but no, I think there's something there. My neighbors, um, last year they were telling me, why don't you do a, do a podcast? Why don't you do a... It's as you very well know, it's work. <laughs> it's a lot I mean, of work. It's a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work to... You know, make it happen and put it together and polish it up and and align the guests and record the you know and, and yes. it's a lot of work. Yeah, and then when you've got other things going on, and I do, which we all do, yeah, right. and not everybody does, right? But I'm telling you, the payoffs are fantastic, and there are well reaching people in other countries. That's I would have never fathomed that. No, that's not, crazy. Not at all. But, but I mean, to give you an idea, I mean, two episodes ago. I mean, this is sort of how weird I work. This is how weird that you could look at something and never look at it again and let it pass you by. Or you could go, well, I wonder what we could do with that. So if you go out here on the WROK table, you'll see those playlists from the late 70s. I was looking at those earlier. And one of them is Kim Carson. I have never met her. I remember listening to her when I would be a junior or a senior in high school. Okay. She was only 18 when she was on WROK. Get a load of that. That's crazy. Chuck Diamond hired her. Bob Good was her operations manager. I mean, come on. Oh we all know. Gosh. Yeah, we all know these names. So when John Strandon was in here, I said, you know, there's some... I just of... saw John the other day at Woodman's. Yeah. That's funny. He's a great guy. He's, God, he's the king of sarcasm. Yes, he is. So I'm thinking, you know, there's people on the list, and I'm just casually talking. I said, there's people on this list that... There's no way I'll ever find him. And he goes, well, I can help you find Kim Carson. I used to work with her. I know she's in Michigan. So we got digging. Between John and I, we got digging. I pick up the phone, and I talk to her. I leave her a message. Of course, she doesn't pick up the phone. She thinks it's a robocall. She lives in Rockford, Michigan. That's how weird this is. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So our first conversation, once she figured out who I was, and she confirmed it with John and all that stuff, our first conversation was 45 minutes. We had never met, but we know things in common. Right, right. 
So I end up scheduling a time where I go over to Grand Rapids. I go all the way over to Grand Rapids. I remember seeing the post. Specifically to sit down with her. Well, then I've got family in the area, and they've got a great big festival called Art Prize, and I had a fantastic time. But it all started out because I chose to pick up the phone and find out Kim Carson, who I do not know. Wow, that's crazy. And we had an hour and a half conversation with radio and people that we know that we didn't know we knew in common. And those are the fringe benefits that it, you could never see coming right. down the road. Right. So that's why I think we're continuing, because I could have done this for maybe five episodes and go, oh, that was fun. Then we stop. But no, we're, I think you're episode number 28. <laughs> that's cool. Well, Sky, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. And you tell Liz I missed her. I know, I know, but you being a hunter, your aim is getting better. Right. So right. she better you, keep moving. You got that right. You got that right. No, Thanks that's... again. We'll see you at the next uh, wine suck, or we'll see you at the next comedy show, or maybe at the next grocery store, or the next fishing hole. You got that right. Yeah, got a lot of opportunities. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Storyteller Studio. 